0: Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 54 through 59. Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning to sit at the feet of the evangelist Luke, to sit at his feet, whom you, inspired by your Holy Spirit infallibly, To give us these words for our infallible instruction and training, teaching, correction and reproof. That we might be thoroughly furnished for every good work in Jesus Christ. And we ask, Father, that you would give us the same Holy Spirit this morning. That he might dwell within our hearts and that your word might not return unto you void. That he might prepare us to receive your word unto fruit. That we would not have hard hearts that the devil comes and takes away. That we would not receive your word to shallow hearts. That bring us joy when we hear it. But when hardship comes and we have to deny ourselves and take up a cross, uh, we let it fall to the side. We ask, dear Lord, that your word would not find the hearts distracted by the thorny desires of this world. That would have you as one but many pleasures. Let not your word be choked by the deceitfulness of riches and the vanities and pleasures that tempt us. But let your word have its perfect work in our heart, that it might bear the fruit of repentance of sin, faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12. Verses 54 through 59. And he said also to the people, When you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, There cometh a shower. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be heat. And it cometh the pass. Ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thy adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever And his people said. Amen. Jesus calls us to consider in this passage, what is this time? What time is it? He has been preaching to those that would crowd around him, that would hear him willingly, to the people, and made up in that was a... A smaller group, perhaps, of disciples, those that had already given themselves to follow Jesus Christ. And on top of that, there was then also the twelve apostles. Jesus had come, as we have seen in the last several weeks, out of the house of the Pharisee uh, that we have at the end of chapter 11, where he rebuked them for their external and false piety. He rebuked the scribes and the, the rabbis, for leading people into that uh, shallow religion. And he comes forth in the beginnings of the chapter to warn the people against hypocrisy and then to make them mindful against a worldly covetousness, not minding the fact that they have to give account not to their pocketbooks, but unto the Lord. And he calls them to seek first the kingdom of heaven. And that this is not something far off, but that the Lord himself delights to give those who seek the kingdom. But he tells them, as we've seen in the last couple of paragraphs, that they have to be watchful. That this mercy and service in the kingdom of heaven also gives a certain bit of responsibility that they do not know when the time will come, when the Lord will uh, require an account of them, when they have to get up and serve him. Now, this ultimately refers to his second coming. He comes as a thief in the night, and we know not when. He comes in judgment, as we will see in chapter 19, and we'll see it a little bit, I'll make reference to it in the sermon, uh, when Jerusalem itself, not submitting to the Lord God, had a season... To repent, in A.D. 70, that judgment was brought to, to bear. But we see it also in each and every one of our lives, for if, we, uh, if he delays his coming, then we will die. And we don't know when we will die. It could be lingering after a long and full life. But even that comes with Challenges a life that has not been ready for the Lord is not all of a sudden going to be earnest in the latter days without his grace. But then there are those that are taken in their youth, in the prime of their life. And we know not when we'll have to give an account. But we also don't know of the opportunities that Christ brings to us At an odd moment, when we are called upon to serve him and speak a word of encouragement, or be that gift of mercy, or that word of warning and rebuke. To stand firm for the truth when all the world counsels an easy and compliant spirit. And so he turned from those warnings to his disciples and to those that are committed to following him to warn everyone there. It says, and he said also to the people, What time is it? You see clouds arise out of the west, and straightway there comes a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be heat, and it cometh to pass. But you are hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you cannot discern this time? We can, we can, we can sense the pulse of the world. In Galilee of that day, when the east wind blew, that meant it was blowing in from the Mediterranean Sea, and it was blowing water. Uh, we remember in the Old Testament uh, in in First Kings. And Elijah, the prophets, contest with Ahab and all of Jezebel's uh, Baal prophets. And, and there had been droughts in the land for three years. And they have that altar. And, and he puts, wets the altar. And fire comes down from heaven. And so they kill off the Baal prophets. But then he tells Ahab, you need to get back to your palace. Because the rain is coming and there's not a cloud in the sky. And Elijah prays. Unto the Lord, and He calls His servant to go check it out into the sea to the west. And eventually, there's that little cloud. That little cloud turns into a great downpour of rain. And when the wind blew up from the south in Galilee and Judea, that meant it was coming from the Negev in the deserts of the area, and it was bringing the hot, dry wind of the desert. And if it blew for very long, it would bring drought. And these, the Galileans, were very mindful of. Just as you and I, we have to this day on our telephones weather apps because of all the forms of divination and pro... pro- I can't even say the word. Fortune-telling, weather-seeking is of primary importance to us. And, and Jesus doesn't commend it because, you know, these things, they weren't casting dice to figure out where the weather was going. They were sensing... Uh, the feel of the world. And we can do this sort of thing in, a, in, in our natural worldly way. We do this with finances. Uh, there's newspapers. The Wall Street Journal, for instance, is, is dedicated to keeping you informed of the, the ways and the wherefores of different businesses and, and the stock market, so that you can make decisions about where to put your money, where to buy, where to sell, how to prepare that you might have a nest egg for the future. And we sense it also in our relationships. In, in our courting days, those of you who have already married and, and gotten that behind you, young men particularly, because I can't speak to the women. But it was always, it was always about how to... Are, are, are we getting it good? Is this the time to... Do, do we settle down here? Is this, this, this the one? i trying to figure that out. And there's no way you can tell somebody to do it, but but we all do it, right? We we get a feel she is the one. I got to close with her. I got to make sure she's mine before somebody else decides she's the one too. We do this in politics. We got an election coming up. We put our finger in the air and figure out which way the winds are blowing, which way the winds ought to be blowing. We do this with our jobs. we do it with fashion. What's going to be in fashion? What's not going to be in fashion? What's going to make me look ridiculous because now I'm 47 and not 32? These are all ways that we seek to gauge the future. We seek to prepare ourselves in the world. And these things, Christ, by the way, he's not rebuking them. He says, you're going to say it's going to rain. And guess what it does? It's going to be hot, and it is. The problem isn't that we keep a mindful watchfulness in the world. It's not the, the problem isn't that the worldly wise show great care to prepare themselves in the world. The problem is, is that we ignore the more ultimate concerns, the spiritual concerns, if you will. The time that God is dealing with his people. And in this this community here, we're gathered in a Christian church. I'm not preaching on the street somewhere. We are all gathered here, uh, if, if not as Christians, at least interested to seek the kingdom of heaven. And they were too. But Jesus calls them hypocrites. And why does he do it? He says that they are not discerning this time. They're ignoring that which they pretend to seek. All the world, they were calculating their 70 weeks. The Messiah was imminent. They had, the, the scepter had departed from Judah. Uh, Rome had come in and... Uh, Vanished every last notion of sovereignty, and that fulfills one of the prophecies in the book of Genesis about the coming of Shiloh, the coming of peace. And there had been the, the agitation of the ministry of John the Baptist, the call to repentance. People were looking, people were convinced that John was pointing to the Messiah, and indeed he does, he points to Christ the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Christ comes preaching and teaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he works miracles and casts out devils. But here is the great sad thing. Turning back a chapter, verse 16 and following thereabouts. He casts out devils. And what are the people saying? and particularly the Pharisees, those that claim to be uh, representatives of the kingdom of heaven, that Satan is defeated by the power of Satan. They were ignoring and intentionally blind to the signs. This was Jesus' great controversy with Jerusalem and to the people. Uh, I mentioned we would look at John 19. Let's do that now. And John, uh, not John, Luke 19, uh, verse 41 and following. When he was come near unto Jerusalem, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thy eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. That part of the church, the Old Testament, the nation of Israel that refused to cling unto the Savior is judged. Because Christ was bringing to bile everything he warned them. And they were refusing to hear and they preferred their own false righteousness. Now is the time to make yourself spiritually ready. In the parable of the rich man that we get earlier in the passage uh, it concludes after he has had this great boon in his farmlands and he's decided to tear down his barns and build them again, even bigger. God says to him, thou fool, this night is thy soul required of thee. And what shall those things be which thou have provided? Or in verse 40. When he warns them, be ye therefore Ready. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Or when he warns Peter and the apostles about being oppressive shepherds to the sheep and talking about those villainous servants of Christ who who claim to be servants and were not. He says, but they will come in a time unlooked for. And they shall be judged. In verse 46, he says, The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in sunder, and will appoint his portion with the unbelievers. Solomon reckons one of the vanities, that is the passing miseries of this life, to be that man does not know his own time. Ecclesiastes 9, 12, For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth upon them suddenly. If we did know the times, even us who confess that we are looking to Christ's coming, even us who know that, that when we die, we go to be with the Lord, And that we have to nevertheless give an account or some account will be given. If we took seriously the time that is given to us now to prepare ourselves for that heavenly glory, we would take sin more seriously. And we would hold to the world less closely. Because we would remember that whatever we gain in the world is a temporary boon. And it comes and it goes. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But unless we figure out how to pay that debt of sin. it will hang over our heads for eternity and cause us eternal misery. This is the time to be reconciled to the Lord. This is why he goes. Then, yea, verse fifty-seven, and even of yourselves, that is within your consciences, judge ye not what is right. When thou goest with an adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. And I tell thee that thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. In the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, he uses this illustration to get us to be reconciled to our brethren before we presume to come and worship the Lord. That's not his context here. Here, the adversary is the one that has a case against us. It is the Lord God. The Lord himself has a controversy against sinners. This is why, in Psalm 95... It begins with that call to praise God. And part of the praise of God is a warning that we pay attention to the time that we come to him while we are able. Because there were those in the wilderness that did not enter into his rest because of his judgment against them. Psalm 95 in the medieval church of uh, uh, the medieval Salisbury liturgy, the cathedral of Salisbury and all the English countryside that was re- required to there. That psalm was part of the service, every worship service they had. And when the Protestant Reformation happened and the Church of England created the Book of Common Prayer for all of their worship services in England, every worship service in the Book of Common Prayer has Psalm 95. That we can come to the Lord and also reflect upon ourselves. It's considered that important. We're Presbyterians. But even in the Scottish services, Psalm 95 was important and not just the first half. Today, we like to read the first half of Psalm 95, the come to the Lord with joy, his great and mighty works he has done. And we like to claim that he is our God. But we don't like to contemplate his case in controversy with us, his people. When Paul was preaching to the Athenians on Mars Hill. Uh, He ends his sermon in Acts 17, verse 29. He says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by the art of man's device, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given him assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, in the old, what distinguishes the old covenant from the new covenant is that God was with his, this nation of Israel that is the church, and all the nations, their idolatry God sort of winked at and did not hold to their account. It's not that they don't go, that they were somehow excused, But the full weight of their sin and idolatry was not brought to bear upon them. But that ended at the day of Pentecost. When Christ ascended up to heaven and gave his Holy Spirit to the church and sent the church into the world. And made it Jew and Gentile, what we say, Holy Catholic Church. That now is the time for all the world to submit. And it's not possible to exhaust the wrath that he has against your sin and my sin. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last might. When we consider the eternal offense against the eternal holiness that is sin, we need to understand that we're not looking to a temporary hell, but an eternal one. And that this is a rhetorical device. There is no last mite to pay. We will be paying it forever. If you dwell in sin here, if you cherish wickedness here, if you cherish a fleshly desire, what happens when you are parted from the flesh? And even though the dead that are condemned are also raised up and united to their bodies, they're not united to incorruptible bodies anymore, but corruptible So what happens if your habit of mind that is formed in this life is all about your fleshly, earthly existence? And you are in a body for all eternity that bears the marks of the wrath of God. And you haven't learned to be friends with God, but to resent him for his holiness. And you haven't learned through the grace of Jesus Christ to love what is holy and good. And so even if he's standing there, even if he brings you into the courts of the new Jerusalem, where there is complete openness. But if you haven't humbled yourself as a sinner and to have your sins exposed to all eternity. It will be just as Jesus described physically and spiritually. The fire of holiness will never be quenched and the worm will never stop gnawing. The psalmist says in Psalm 49, 7 to 9, we can't bear that ransom for ourselves or for another. And we ought to beware laying up for ourselves an eternal misery. But this is the good news. Christ sometimes preaches the good news by implication from the bad news. And this is what he does here. This is what he has done, because this is not give, these two paragraphs are not given in isolation from what has come before. We read these after having read verse 31 and 32. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Fear not, little children, for the Father desires to give you the kingdom. There is one who has paid the debt to the last might. In Adam we all die. God sent forth Christ, his eternal son, who took upon himself flesh so that he is eternal God and eternal man. So that he can actually stand in the place of mankind for their sin. And he is holy and without blemish, a perfect sacrifice. But he is also eternal God and can bear that weight of eternal judgment against sin. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us because of your sin and my sin? But because of his victory, he also says that day it is finished and to thy hands I commit my spirit. And death could not hold him. This is why in in Hebrews chapter 4. And the writer to the Hebrews, he, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's actually commenting on Psalm 95 and the warning that is there. And he he finishes up for us in verse 12, or say, let's start at verse 11. He said, Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief that didn't enter into the rest. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in the sight, his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That sounds threatening, but it continues. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Christ is given to us. He came to save and seek those who were under judgment. In Luke 19, to the earlier part of that where he condemned Jerusalem, he says unto Zacchaeus, a man that was a traitor to his country, a man that was a tax collector, that did his job through extortion and economic malfeasance. There was a day of reckoning come to him. And by God's grace, he took it. Verse 9 and 10 of Luke 19. And Jesus said unto Zacchaeus, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our hope and our joy is recognizing that without his grace we are lost. We are sinners. And not denying it. Embracing it. That we might be delivered from it in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He therefore is able and also willing. Fear not, little children, the Father desires to give you the kingdom. So don't miss your time. If you're at peace with sin right now, understand that that the Lord has a controversy against you. Because He came to deliver you from sin. Sin is the enemy. And he has given you, in his name and in his grace, power to overcome it. And it doesn't mean that that you're going to win every battle against sin. But you're going to win the war. And you need to be fighting the battles. Because you don't know when your final opportunity of repentance will come. So let's not cherish sin let's put it away right now let's let's make peace with the adversary by getting rid of the real adversary which is sin but also let's remember that Christ saves sinners i came not to call the righteous says our lord but sinners to repentance it's not to say that there are any mankind here that is worthy of his grace that isn't sinners But it's in acknowledging our sin that we come to receive Christ as he's offered to us. It wasn't the holy man that left the temple justified of God. It was the man that said, have mercy upon me, a sinner, that recognized he had nothing to offer Christ that he needed to only receive. He is the only worthy sacrifice. He is the only one that is paid the last might. And he is able and he is willing. Come unto me all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, saith our Saviour. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let us not be hypocrites not discerning the time, let us find the Lord Jesus while he has offered unto us in grace. Our Father and our God, we come before you and we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we might know the time indeed and that we might cling to our Savior. Give us victory over sin, Father. Give us victory over a lackadaisical attitude. Give us joy in serving you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.